Hi there, my name is Adam Waters and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading for today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Over the weekend, I had the uh, blessing of officiating a wedding. It was really, um, it was a really special occasion that I was quite grateful to be a part of. In my preparation for the message for this service, though, I got to thinking about uh, the great risks associated with uh, the marriage of these two people. And it wasn't just them. I mean, they had particular things in their life that would make this a little bit riskier of a proposition. But in the end, all of our marriages are risky. In the end, any of you who have been married know that you are entrusting a huge portion, in fact, your entire life into the hands of the other, whether it be your physical life sometimes, uh, your, certainly your relational life, your spiritual life, your financial life. There's, just, there's a lot of risks with a healthy, thriving, godly marriage. In this case, uh, one of the couple were moving from another state. They'd lived there their entire life. You know, they were already in their 60s. It was now they're moving to Illinois, of all places, and they were coming here uh, to take the risk and to be with their um, their beloved. Not only that, there was the risk of sort of. And let's be honest, when you're married, you're putting all your eggs in one basket, aren't you? It's part of what it means to take that risk and to be committed to the person that you love. You're holding out for God's best. And in the end, you need to make the decision, is this the person? And then uh, go forward and trust uh, in the Lord. And so someone asked me the other day about prenuptial agreements. You know, what is the Christian view on prenups? And I said, well, I can't give you the Christian view, but I can give you a Christian's view. I can give you my view. My view is that a prenuptial agreement in a godly Christian couple is probably unnecessary and counterproductive to the idea of total commitment and trust in the other person. In other words, if you can't trust the other person to... Uh, steward your money well, to stay with you, to work through struggles, it's probably not the right person to be married to anyway. Now, for those of you who have prenups, I'm sorry, that's how I feel, if any of you have it. Nevertheless, um, that's what I believe. 
In a marriage, what we are willing to risk is an indication of our commitment to the idea of marriage, to the proposition of marriage, to the cause of marriage, uh, even outside of marriage, business endeavors, things like that. What is true of marriage is true of our relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, we're called to be the bride of Christ. In many places throughout the scripture, the bride, the church, and us individually are called to commit ourselves to Jesus. And the level of that commitment is often seen by what risks we are willing to take. question of how committed should I be to the Lord is answered by a simple word, more. More. Every time we look at our lives and we assess where we are in terms of commitment, the answer to our question, should I be committed more, is yes, we should be more committed. Truly following Christ demands that you be willing to take significant risks. You see, we misunderstand the nature of our Christian discipleship by considering the Christian walk as a piece of a pie that is our life. I don't know how many times I've heard this, sometimes from well-meaning believers, most of the time from nominal believers, and sometimes from people who don't believe at all. The Christian life, yes, faith, is important, but it's just a part of a complete life. You also have to have your financial life, then you have your business life, then you have your family life, and yes, the faith life is a part of it, but you mustn't let that part get too big, lest you become a fanatic, right? An extremist. I think of the game Trivial Pursuit. I loved that game growing up. I was a a phenom at it. The truth is, is that I would often get in trouble at school, and I would have um, detentions, quite frequently. Yes, I know that's probably a surprise for many of you to believe that, but I sat and memorized the whole Trivial Pursuit deck, okay? So don't play me in that game. But I remember the pies. The point of the game is to get as many pies, and I would often think of this when I considered my own Christian life. What color pie is Christ? The truth is, is Christ is the pie holder. Everything we do in this life is a measure of our commitment to Jesus Christ, and each pie we place in is nestled into our worldview as Christians. Everything is informed by that. Looking at today's text, we can ask ourselves some questions. What is our level of commitment to Jesus Christ? When we see what happens in the text here, we can ask ourselves, am I truly committed to walking with the Lord well? Now, today, this morning, I want you to sit Consciously, in fact, right now as I speak, I want you to ask the Lord Jesus, through the power of his spirit, to speak to your heart as we go through this message. And as you ask yourselves these questions, I want you to allow the spirit to answer them for you. And then we'll discuss how you can put some of these into practice. So let's look at the text together. Today we're in Mark chapter 1, 14. Now let's observe how Jesus' disciples followed when they were called. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, first off, we see right away after John was put in prison, all right, there's an indication here of how this lines up into the ministry of Jesus. Now, what you don't see in the Greek here is actually a word, and it's often translated arrested, but for some reason, the Lord's been saying that this is important. It's a really common word. It's Paradidimi. Paradidimi. It means to give over. So when John was given over, and I kept focusing on this piece, and after last week's message, it seems to me that the Lord, God, 
the Father. And the time was right, gave John over to his calling as a follower of God. It's quite serious calling. Because he ticked off some serious people in the process of living for God and proclaiming the truth. You see, John told Herod, the king at the time, that he could not marry his brother's wife, Herodias. Herod and Herodias. Some couples, they match up clothing, you know. And they say, as you more longer you're married, the more you look like the person you're with. But these are actually names. Herod and Herodias, his brother's wife. He said, you can't have her. It's unlawful to have your brother's wife. Herod said, I got an answer for that, and he put him in prison. Later on in the, story, in the narratives of the gospel, we see that he was beheaded for his standing up for the truth of God's word. Isn't it interesting how Christians always receive pushback regarding marriage, even 2,000 years ago? We're still seeing it today. This is an area where our commitment to Christ is perhaps the most profound not only how we understand our role in marriage, but how we stand for the truth of what marriage should look like. For the world around us has a totally different view, and it's getting further from the truth as the days go by. But even in the face of, John, of John's arrest, Jesus picks up right where John left off with a declaration of the gospel. He starts right where John says, he says, Repent, the time has come, repent and believe. This idea of the time has come is in a tense called the perfect tense. It means that the time is there. It's already happened. It's a past event, but there is continuing results even to today. The kingdom of God came when Christ came out of the water and looked to the heavens, and the dove descended in the form of the spirit, descended on him in the form of a dove, and the voice from heaven came from God the Father saying, you are my beloved. I am well pleased with you. That initiated the kingdom of God on earth, the start of Jesus' ministry. Jesus begins his message with the word repent. Last week we talked about how repent, metanoia, means to go the other way, to change one's mind. In the end we learned it is the conscious decision to submit to what the Lord God has for you. It's to look at God's word and say, Lord, I believe this is true. I believe what you're saying is true, and what I'm doing is not this. I will submit to this and trust you for the results. We must have trust. In fact, that's the next part of what Jesus says, repent and believe. I often talk about this word belief. It's not just a set of, un of, of or, or an attitude of assenting to certain principles or propositions. This word belief also means an emotive response. It's to trust. It's to say, this is the truth, and I willingly place my life into your hands, Lord, according to this truth. Jesus is receiving a baptism of repentance in the text just prior to this, and now going forth and declaring the fact that we need to believe and trust in God was showing that very trust by declaring the truth even after John had been arrested for his beliefs. More so that, he invites others into that risk. He calls first Andrew and Peter, and they were disciples first of John the Baptist. They clearly knew what had happened. The person they followed had been arrested. And Jesus calls on them first, Andrew and Peter, to follow him. What would happen to them? 
their rabbi was just taken. Of course, he had not been killed yet, but he was put in prison by not a nice man. And now here is this man, Jesus, calling them to do the same. So this brings our first question in our sort of self-assessment for this morning. I want the Spirit to answer this question for you. Ask yourself, am I willing to risk my personal safety to follow Christ? We're spoiled here in America. We're spoiled here in America. This includes perhaps most the American church. We celebrate and experience a wonderful freedom that we have because of what our founding fathers put into a document called the Constitution. And we seek to maintain that freedom, rightfully so, by the power of the political realm. But in the end, we cannot depend upon that. In the end, we will stand one day and have to be asked and will be asked, how far are you willing to go for the cause of Christ? What are you willing to risk? Your safety? There's coming a time when our safety, I guarantee you, will not be guaranteed. In fact, the scripture tells us in Revelation that we can all expect a time of testing, a time that we, the church, will be persecuted even unto death. That many of our brothers and sisters today will, or will be killed for the sake of Christ, but I want to bring this into our hearts today, that we have brothers and sisters who are now standing in a time of what we will call their revelation moment. We think of Afghanistan. We think of the rest of the Middle East as ISIS would come through and mark homes of Christians with the, the Arabic letter Nun for Nazarite, Nazarene, a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. We think of the church in North Korea. We're grateful that dedicated Christians are smuggling in God's word are establishing underground churches in that country at the very risk of death. Not, don't do that, not even prison, death. We think of the churches in the Soviet bloc in the 70s and 80s. We're to preach Christ. If it in any way impacted the political sphere, you were put in a gulag in Siberia. And many suffered and died. Do we shirk from speaking the truth when the Lord is clearly telling us to say something because we're afraid for our personal safety? Now, let me tell you, there were times when I was in prison. Let me tell you about a guy in prison. <laughs> there was a guy in prison named, let's change his name. That was a spirit saying, don't do it. We'll call him Bo. Bo was gigantic. Bo could squash me. And he had squashed others. So I knew it. Bo was a follower of another faith. And everyone at the prison knew me as sort of pastor already. And so they would come to me and ask questions. One day I hear people arguing down the hallway saying, well, let's ask Doc. Let's go ask Doc. And it, which was a common occurrence. People called me Doc. Let's ask Doc. And comes, around comes the corner is Bo and a Christian brother I know. And they're debating something. And I'm like, why does this have to happen right now? And I had to stand before this man and tell him that he was wrong and that he would die in his sin and go to hell if he didn't repent. I had to over overcome that, but I felt deeply the risk that I was taking by declaring the truth. 
I didn't do it in an unwinsome manner, and God is not asking you to do it in an unwinsome manner. He's asking you to do it with mercy and grace and friendliness and goodness and kindness, yet he's asking you to do it. People often talk with confidence and bravado, but then melt when real danger occurs. The truth is you never know how you're going to react. You never know. But I can tell you this. We must embrace our death if we are truly to live for Christ. Make the choice today to die, and your Christian walk will be transformed. Decide what's more important, my commitment to my safety or my commitment to Christ. When you called me as pastor, I made the decision that should anyone come through that door, I will die for you. I've made that vow before God. Christ is asking you to make that vow now. What are you willing to risk? Bonhoeffer, during the ascent of the Nazi regime, stood up against the Nazis and was martyred for it. And perhaps in one of his most famous statements, he says, when God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. God's calling you to come and die. He's asking you to willingly commit your safety into his hands and trust him no matter what happens. No matter what happens. We seek God's grace in the moment of testing, but we make the decision every day. Every day. So these, Jesus, and these men he called were risking their personal safety, and God's calling you to be willing to do the same. Let's look at verses 16, 17, and 18. It says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, at once, they left their nets and followed him. The first disciples were ordinary people. They were nobody special but they happen to be called. Many of us are nobody special. (laughs) We have regular jobs and regular lives. Yet God's calling you to come follow him. If we look here, what's even more interesting is that Jesus didn't even ask them to stop being fishermen. He repurposed their calling. You may be doing something right now that... uh, I don't know, maybe you're a lawyer or a doctor or you work at a checkout line. Whatever it is that you do, God's asking you to do it for the sake of Jesus Christ, for his kingdom. For God is calling you and he's repurposing your calling. On TikTok, there is a woman. I love this woman. For those of you who are on TikTok, follow this woman. She is awesome and make your day great. She's Carol in the comic. That's her tagline. So I hope she gets another, I don't know, 20 more viewers. Carol in the comic, uh, the Christian, used to be Carol in the comic. Both of her feeds are up. So you can see who she was, and you get to see who she is. Carol in the comic met a man and fell in love with him. This man's father was a Baptist minister who said, you are unequally yoked. And she said, well, I'm going to show you. She started going to church, and she said, I'm going to be so yoked, you're never going to be able to say that we can't get married. Then God saved her and said, we can't get married. And now she's Carol in the comic. And her stuff is hilarious. 
She repurposes what she does, her God-given craft, for God's kingdom, for God's people. And God's asking you to be willing to do the same. Andrew and Peter left their means of support to follow the Savior. This is how they ate. This was no easy choice. Nevertheless, they acted immediately. They were leaving, you know, more than just a little. It does not seem that these were um, necessarily sustenance fishermen. Later on, we see John and James. They had hired hands. This is a small business. They were putting skin in the game, willing to risk everything. So that's our second self-assessment question. Are you willing to risk your livelihood to follow Christ? Are you willing to risk your livelihood to follow Christ? Following Christ requires us to have a different relationship with money and a different relationship on the things that money buy. Sometimes we work for unbelievers who expect performance that runs contrary to our deeply held beliefs. To what we know God is calling us to do, I see this all the time in sales. I've had several friends who are believers, conservative, staunch, Christ-following believers who went into sales, and they're like, I don't know what to do. They want me to lie about everything. Sort of the nature of sales. Yet they found a way, and they allowed their character to lead, and not the product. And they turned out to find more success than what they expected. Probably not the same success as those who lied, but more success than they expected. Our, Christian, our Christianity must influence our conduct in every area of our life. Remember the pie holder, Trivial Pursuit? Our employment's just one pie. Yet Christ must inform every area. Colossians says, we've heard it today in a prayer. I said it to Elijah. I said it again already. Whatever we do in, in word or in deed, we do for the name of the Lord. We do in the name of the Lord. That includes our employment. Now, do not quit your job as a result of today's message, unless God's telling you to. I'm not asking you to quit your job. What I am suggesting to you that you be willing to do so that you make the choice to open your hand from the grip that is on your career and say, Lord, your will, not mine. Your will, not mine. We need to detach as a church, as a country, as a people from our love of money and our, our idolatry to stuff if we're to follow Christ well. I mean, we might as well get used to this. There comes a time in the book of Revelation where John tells us that we're not going to be able to buy or sell anything unless we get the mark. And the mark, by the way, everyone's going to know, should this happen in our lifetime, everyone's going to know if they take the mark or not. It is a willful decision to align oneself with the Antichrist. No one's going to sneak the mark onto you. It's a willful decision to reject Christ and to worship another. Without that mark, no buying and selling. This is not an unusual occurrence. This happened to the Jews, or the early Christians at the beginning of the New Testament. When the Jews found out that the sect was growing, they refused to buy and sell to their Jewish brothers and sisters because they were Christ followers. During the Second World War, Jews had to put stars on all of their storefronts in order to allow the Germans to know who not to buy from. This is an old trick that's going to be used again. So the love that we have for our stuff and our money needs to be released if we're to truly follow Christ well. This is just more than money, though. It can be anything else in our lives that we seek to gain resources through. We seek to gain resources. This might be intellectuals. 
trying to maintain a respectable opinion on things. I've known professors who have been in areas that really do touch on Christianity, but they would keep it under wraps out of fear that if somebody knew what they truly believed, that they would lose credibility. Frankly, before people who do not matter. (laughs) Do not matter. But our commitment must go beyond our money for living to our mode of living. It's not just what we buy, it's why we buy and where we buy and how we buy. So that brings us to our third question for this morning. This is a self-assessment again. I want you to allow the Spirit to answer this question. Am I willing to risk my lifestyle to follow Christ? Am I willing to risk my lifestyle? The nature of Christ's calling and our desire to live for ourselves necessarily makes following Jesus inconvenient. There's no way we can be convenient Christians. God calls us to be willing to set everything aside to follow his son, the Savior, well. What am I willing to do to follow Christ? How am I allowing him to dictate my life and the things therein? Many of us love the idea of this deep and meaningful religious experience where I walk with the presence of the Lord each moment of my life. Yet we fail to do the things God requires of us to get there. And the answer is, and it's always through the denial of ourselves and the willingly, willing acceptance of God's will. I have a friend who uh, is ministering, used to be a professor at Moody Bible at the seminary. He now lives in Bonaire. He's from Bonaire. Um, he, it's an island in the Caribbean, part of the Lesser Antilles. And he took a picture on a Saturday night of his church. He was walking by. Doors were open. Beautiful little white church. Doors were open. The light inside is gleaming out of this church. And he writes in the caption, he says, no special day, no special event. This is every day at my church in Bonaire. And then he said, woe to the West. That his heart breaks for American churches. I was in a class one time and we had to write a discipleship plan on how to create a system within a church to have a few people disciple more people who in turn discipled more people. And it started with training. And someone got up, he was from Madagascar, and he got up and he said, well, this is how I'm going to do this. There's going to be six weeks of consistent training on Saturdays from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. As soon as he said it, hands go up. He says, yes. He goes, how are you going to get people to come to church on Saturday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m.? And all he said was, the church of Madagascar is not like the church in America. And it was like a knife. And all the hands went down. Are we willing to sacrifice our lifestyle? Are we, what are we willing to sacrifice so that we can tithe? Some of us don't tithe effectively because we're pumpkin spicing our life away. You know what I'm talking about. Don't lie. We're purchasing things for ourselves with God's money. It's really the bottom line. God, out of his goodness and grace, has bestowed something upon us, not only our salvation, but everything. Everything. What are we willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to sacrifice to make sure my children are learning about the Lord and are cultivating friendships with other believers? What gets in the way 
of coming and worshiping together? What gets in the way of sending your children to youth group? What gets in the way of having playdates with other Christ followers so that your kids will be inundated with the truth instead of inundated by lies? What are we willing to risk? Finally, what pet sin am I willing to risk to follow Christ well? Some of us got annoyances. Some of us got elephants in the room. I've lived with elephants. Now I live with more annoyances that I want than I want. I mean my sin, not my family. I wanted to clarify that. <laughs> what pet sin am I willing to give to the Lord to follow him well? Let's look at the rest. 19. When he had gone a little further, this is Jesus, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, again, the immediacy in Mark, again, without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. After calling Peter and Andrew, who were already disciples, like I said, of John, Jesus calls John and James. Now, undoubtedly, James and John knew Andrew and Peter. It's a fishing community surrounding a lake. They say the Sea of Galilee, it's not a sea. It's a lake. You could see the other side. At times, it feels like you could throw a rock to the other side. It's not as big as you think. In fact, our uh, tour guides in Israel would often make fun of us because we called it the Sea of Galilee, you know. He says it's a lake. Call it a lake, the Lake of Galilee. Actually, they call it um, Kinneret is actually what they call it to this day, Kinneret. And it's actually in the New Testament translated in some places by that word. So an ancient word being used even today. But James and John had to have known the risks of following Peter and Andrew's footsteps in following Jesus, in following John the Baptist, who had just been arrested. They had to have known the risks. While they're there preparing their nets, and the word is cleaning, they're getting little bits off of the nets. It's yuck work. Jesus calls them at that moment. In that mundane activity... It's not a pretty picture. The Lord doesn't call us when it's convenient or when we're on our best behavior all the time. The Lord doesn't call us in these spiritual moments during church or a, a Franklin Graham thing that's coming up. He doesn't always call us like that. Sometimes he calls us in the most everyday occurrence and says, come follow me. But when they were called, they left their nets, and more importantly, don't miss this, their father their father, to follow Jesus. Now, I have no idea if Zebedee was a believer at this point or had become a believer. I'm not sure that we ever hear about him except in reference to who John and James are. But Mark portrays him as being left behind by his boys who followed Jesus, which would have deeply impacted Zebedee. If he was a faithful Jew, them following Jesus would have been catastrophic. Not only that, they are hired, or they work for their father. It's a family business. Zebedee would have lost the help, would have lost the support, lost the money of his boys being with him. It could even have cost him his business. Oh, Zebedee, what kind of dad is that? Apple doesn't far fall from the tree. His boys went and followed that Messiah. We'll get our fish elsewhere. 
Their decision to follow Jesus had implications beyond themselves. The ripples were astounding to the people around them. We sometimes let the people in our lives, though, for whatever reason, keep us back from truly, truly following the Lord. So our final question for this morning, am I willing to risk my relationships to follow Christ? This, in my experience with addicts and with people who are trying to overcome a sin in their life or a lifestyle, has been the biggest hindrance in people continually rejecting their own old lives and living for Jesus, even after they become believers. This entanglement that comes from old people, old places, old things can derail someone for years, years. Many addicts that I've counseled or worked with relapse again and again. Why? Because I went back, and guess who it is? Most of the time, family. Family. There are 12-step programs in the area that on Christmas, Thanksgiving, and New Year's will run 24-hour meetings. They call them marathon meetings. I've gone to a lot of them, sometimes just for fun. Two, three in the morning, we show up. It's a room packed full of people. And you know what they're talking about? They're crazy family. They're like, I went there for 45 minutes for an hour. My mom started her thing. My brother started drinking, and I could only stay. I had to leave. I came to a meeting. We allow the old people, old places, old things to dictate the way we follow Christ. Not only that, they allow the implications of following Christ and the fear that comes with it to dictate their own progress as it relates to relationships. So for instance, I'll give you some for instance statements. If I truly follow Jesus, that person won't love me anymore. And we're placed with a situation, do I love Jesus more or do I love this person more? Because there's no other way. This is how it is. We have to make a choice. If I truly follow Christ, I cannot be in this relationship without living in willful sin. I love this person. I love this sin. It'd be catastrophic to lose this relationship. Jesus will forgive me. Let me say this. I know the overwhelming, I say this truthfully to you, I know the overwhelming inertia that needs to be overcome in severing a relationship to follow Christ well. I know it. This is not an academic or theoretical statement I suggest to you. I've lived it. How about this statement? If I truly follow Christ, I have to be different, and then I'll have nothing in common with that person anymore. I said this last week. If you're having a hard time severing relationships, start living for Jesus, they'll leave you. You won't even have to do anything. Live for Christ. And if I truly follow Christ, I cannot allow this person to contribute to sinful reactions and attitudes. In other words, every time I'm around this person, I fly off the handle. Or every time I'm around this person, I end up getting drunk. We have to make the decision, our sin in this relationship or Jesus. In Luke 18, Peter says, Lord, we left everything for you. After Jesus says it's so hard to get into the kingdom, Peter says, we've left everything for you. I want you to listen to Jesus' promise to you, to you. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children 
for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. God sees the sacrifices you make and the relationships around you that are not contributing to your faithful walk with Jesus. And he promises to reward you. I know we can't see it, and there will be pain. But he promises to reward you. The relationships we give up to follow Christ are intended to be replaced, get this, by us. Us. Jesus says that he has people, I say this respectfully, people better than the people we've left for his sake. Those who will not throw you off your path. Those who will not help contribute to your sin. Those who will not pull, pull you back from following Jesus. We are each other's better thens. We are each other's better thens. Are you that person for somebody who comes on Sunday morning or comes to growth group? Are there people who, here who are that person for you? I don't know about you, but Sunday morning, I get up and I cannot wait to be with my family. Family. Because I know what I left. I know with where those I left are right now. And I just want you. We need to be the people who are worthy of that high calling to one another. Because things are heating up. We need to gather often with each other, supporting one another and loving one another in ways maybe we've never done before. God's not asking you to sever every relationship you have and replace them with church folk. <laughs> I promise you, he's not. He is asking you to be willing to risk anything or anyone to follow him well when he calls you. So let's hear our four questions. I hope the Spirit's been talking, and I hope you've been listening. I hope you've been listening. Am I willing to risk my personal safety to follow Christ? Am I willing to risk my livelihood to follow him well? Am I willing to risk my lifestyle, giving up the things I love in order to follow Jesus because I love him more? Am I willing to risk my relationships to follow Jesus? So, what's the Spirit told you this morning? I suspect that for some of you, he brought the two-by-four out. He brought two-by-four out on me when I was preparing the message. I'm just now getting over it. I had an ice pack on all day. Seriously. The Lord and his love for me rakes me over the coals when I prepare messages for you. Are there people, places, or things that need to go so that you can follow Christ with total abandon? Just total commitment. What's God asking you to risk? Where is God asking you to be more committed? Where is he asking you to be his bride? To be faithful, risking everything to go where he goes. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we love Jesus, and we love that you sent him, and we love that he's with us even here in this moment through the power of the Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would make us not only listening, but that, Lord, you would just mold us. Make us moldable. Make us willing to open our hands on everything we've grasped so tightly to follow you well. Help us commit our lives to you, Lord. Even those who've been called and have followed you forever. 
Thank you, Lord, for this day. Help us to love you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning into Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBC Elm. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbcelm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.